Hi, welcome to our Full Access. And I love this theme around God's got so much more for us. And I want to talk today about a specific dimension of that, about freedom. And, and that might sound like a funny topic to talk about in lockdown, but I want to say there's this incredible full access to freedom in God. In fact, it's one of the great kind of clarion calls of Scripture. The book of Galatians, Paul's great, strong defense of the gospel. I love this sentence, Galatians 5, one. he just says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's like he hasn't set you free for something else. Like freedom is the means, but freedom is the end. Like the end game for God is a group of people living in freedom. Like that's what he wants you to experience freedom you to live in freedom he wants to set you free so that you can be free in fact but later on he says this you my brothers and sisters are called to be free do you know what you're calling is you're called to live a spectacular life of incredible freedom in God uh, this backs right back up to Jesus, you know, when he came and said, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It's like the key people of the New Testament, like we're all about freedom. You have access to freedom. Jesus came to give you access into freedom. Um, if you go back and look at the whole thing of how the gospel's designed to work, what Jesus came to do, Isaiah 61 is the passage that Jesus claimed. And if you look at it, it's all about freedom. You know, the spirit was on and wide for people who are poor, that they'd experience good news for the brokenhearted. They'd be set free from their brokenness for actual captives would literally find freedom for people in darkness would be set free into the light. Prisoners again would be free from their chains. Just wherever there was less than freedom, people would step into freedom. It's incredible. And then he goes on to kind of outline what that looks like. For those who are mourning are going to find free, the freedom of comfort. Those who grieve with loss are going to find provision. In fact, where things are just ashes in your life, he wants to set you free from the ashes and set you free back into a crown of beauty. For mourning, not just, not just comfort, but joy. Where there's been despair, set free from despair as a bondage and instead find praise. And, and he sums it all up like, that's what God's after. They will be the oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. And I love this, for the display of his splendor. God is look, God's strategy is a group of people who just live in incredible freedom. And that other people would look and go, I want that. I got great news for you today. God came on the earth for you to find freedom. Um, it goes on even what those people will do. They're going to rebuild the ruins. They just won't experience freedom in themselves. They'll create freedom from brokenness. And, and that, they'll be named ministers of our God. Not only, man, you've got a touch of God on your life, but you bring God wherever you come. Good things happen where you go. And, and the conclusion of this is actually really moving. It's quite kind of overwhelming. Instead of your shame, you'll receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so will you, you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy. I don't know how you sum that up, but it's saying God has got this incredible uh, grace coming into your life that's just going to set you free from everything that's holding you back and set you free to step into everything. People struggle with the kind of language to... Uh, that kind of encapsulate that. But there's a phrase, a word that's been used about recently. These are a couple of recent books. Um, how, how Jesus is into flourishing, how we are looking for flourishing churches. Sometimes people resist words of prosperity or whatever. But the word flourishing feels like, yeah, that resonates. God wants to set you free to flourish. And so that, if you wanted to sum that up, man, he wants you to experience full access, freedom to flourish in life. Um, and, so, and so Paul 
was constantly battling for this. He's like, man, this is what we're about. This is the great cause, human freedom. And so his great passion was like, man, stand firm then. Don't let yourselves be burdened against, again by a yoke of slavery. He's constantly fighting. Like, Jesus came to set you free. Don't live in slavery. Don't stay in slavery. And even kind of worse scenario, don't go back into slavery. And many of you would know this, but the Apostle Paul felt like he was fighting on two fronts for that. And in the middle, he wanted people to experience freedom or often called liberty. And it's like, man, there's two forms of slavery. There's the slavery of legalism, like I'm living under guilt and duty and bondage to that way. Or there's the, or there's the slavery of license. Like, man, I've just cut loose and I'm doing what I want. But actually, surprisingly, perhaps I'm not free. I'm in bondage. I'm in slavery to those things. And so Paul starts off, he's constantly defending, no, I, I, Jesus came to set you free. Don't be enslaved. And so first of all, he, he fights back. No, don't let people put all this religious stuff on you. Uh, they, people were trying to say they had to submit to some Old Testament laws. He's like, no, in Christ Jesus, that stuff doesn't count. What counts is living a life of faith and love. Don't let people bring you back under this thing. Like if you're gonna follow God, if you're gonna be a good person, you gotta do all this stuff. Paul's like, don't do that, that's slavery. Uh, in Colossians, another book, he picks up the same thing. Don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or regard to religious festivals or all these kind of things. They're not the real thing. They're slavery. And, and he makes this incredible statement. Why as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Often kind of church people talk about the world as, you know, this kind of immoral lifestyle and all that kind of stuff. But Paul's very clear. No, no, there's another side to the world. There's a religious form of worldliness that's all about, no, no, if I'm a godly person, then I submit to all these rules. And there's, he's like, that's slavery. That's worldliness and it's slavery. Don't go there. And so Paul, Paul's strongly defending people. Don't, don't lose your freedom to come under a legalism. But he's also fights on the other side. He's like, hey, you're called to be free, but don't use that to indulge the flesh. What feels like freedom when you chase after everything that your, your body and your life says you want actually becomes a form of slavery. Again, in Romans, don't you know that when you sin, you become a slave to sin? That's not freedom. Living under a whole lot of laws isn't freedom, but, but doing whatever, whatever your body and your mind tells you and your emotions tell you you wanna do, that's not freedom, that's not authenticity. According to Paul, that's slavery as well. And he talks about that, this thing when, when your life is dominated by hatred or discord or jealousy or rage or ambition or drunkenness or sexual immorality. He's like, that's slavery. And he presents this other incredible path. No, no, the transformation of God, like, like this is real freedom. And, and that's what he wants. So Paul is like, man, I'm gonna fight for your freedom. Don't submit to the slavery of legalism. Don't submit to the slavery of license. Live in freedom because that's what Jesus came to do. Even, you know, Jesus, the parable of the prodigal son has these two things. If you know the story, there's two sons. We often talk about the prodigal and we know his story that he, 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 he went after his desires and it just led him into deeper and deeper bondage and slavery. He, he loses all he has. He's, he's working for someone else, feeding pigs, and he's hungry. He's in bondage because he just pursued what he thought was freedom, but it became slavery. But then the interesting thing is the older brother who never left the ranch, as it were, stayed around the religious thing, 
he's angry, he's grumpy. And his statement, verse 29, is this. All these years I've been slaving for you. He's like, oh my goodness, you can be enslaved a long way from God. And you can be enslaved very close to God, close to church, close to good things. But it's a form of slavery when it's not coming out of relationship, when it's not authentic when it's not freedom. And, and it's like this, this passion of Jesus, the passion of Paul is, I, I, they just see lots, your slavery can look really different to other people's slavery, but it's still slavery and their passion is, Con, I want you to find freedom from slavery. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's this great kind of cry and call and it, and it resonates deeply in our culture. Um, you know, thinking again, the United States Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that you have these rights, life, liberty. It's like, man, people are born and, and they should be able to live lives of freedom. Um, similar time, other side of the world, France, there's, great, there's three great words, liberty, equality, and fraternity. So these two, these two great countries, like, man, we want to champion freedom. So, I mean, interesting, the French donated this great statue to America to celebrate what they had in common. What's it called? The Statue of Liberty. Like, there's this cultural ache for freedom. We want to live in freedom. We want, we want freedom. We want liberty. Even many of you would have seen this old movie Braveheart about William Wallace in Scotland. This great line. I won't try the accent. They may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Free, that would resonate with Paul. No, don't let anyone take your freedom. But I was listening to the speech the other night, and I backed up, and, and he says this. You've come to fight as free men, and free men you are. But then he says this. What will you do with that freedom? And it's one thing to go I want to be free. It's one thing to go, Paul and Jesus came to set you free, but what does freedom look like? Because I, I got a bit of bad news for you. There's actually a demonic counterfeit to freedom. There's these two famous prophetic passages in the Old Testament, which uh, people assume was uh, Satan was an angel of light, and then he fell. And if you look at the language, he's, it's all about, no, I'm not going to submit anymore. I'm going to be free to do it my way. I'm going to be free to go after my agenda. I'm going to be free to put myself at the top. So it's all, well, I, you were made to serve God. No, I will ascend. I will raise, raise my throne. I will sit. I will ascend. I will make myself. Ezekiel, the other passage, you became, your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And it's like, Man, our culture aches for freedom, but often we sell out to a counterfeit. No, freedom means no one's going to tell me what to do. Freedom means I'm going to just look after number one. That's not freedom. That's just broken and dark and bound. And so when Jesus comes and then Paul, we often talk about the upside down kingdom. Jesus taught a way of being human that often was unexpected. Like, oh, if you want to be the first, be the last. If you want to be the greatest, be the least you would kind of expect that when Jesus championed freedom, there would probably be something unexpected about it, right? There would probably be something kind of upside down that doesn't make sense to our world and our concepts. And, uh, and, and I think there is. And it's found in this little phrase going back where we started Galatians, where Paul is championing freedom. And he goes, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. And he talks about what not to do. Don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. And then he just drops this little drop the mic sentence. Just serve one another humbly in love. And it's like, is that a Christian vision of freedom? Serve one another humbly in love? Like, that is crazy. The idea that true freedom is this. I'm free to serve, I'm free to be humble, and I'm free to love. 
that should kind of mess with your head. It messes with my head. Because even like serve, but serving means I'm not free. It means I'm doing what someone else is wanting. No, in the kingdom, you can be so free that then you're not compelled to serve, but you're so free that you choose to serve. You're so free that you're free not to be fighting for your independence and your position. I'm just free to be humble. And freedom doesn't look like out in the wilderness by myself. Freedom looks like tightly connected and loving relationships. The kingdom vision of freedom is upside down kingdom. And I just want to go through these a bit and unpack them a bit and, and kind of provoke you to think, man, how are you going to step into kingdom freedom today? How are, you going to, how are you going to achieve kingdom freedom this year? You have full access to kingdom freedom, but, but it might look differently to what you think. So free to serve. So there's this incredible story, uh, Jesus, the night before he dies. And it's such a crazy one, just this one little word, so, is so crazy. Listen to this. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. Well, that's pretty incredible. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You would think it would go, because Jesus knew what he was, Yet in spite of that, he served, or even though that's true, he served. And it's just like, so he served. Like, that is crazy logic. But this is the logic of the kingdom. If, if, you, if your identity is being a slave or a servant, you're constantly battling. But if you know that you're a son or a daughter of God, you're actually free to serve because your identity is not riding on it. Jesus knew who he was so he was actually free to serve people. He was actually free to go, what needs to happen here? How could I be a blessing? Oh, I'm, I could do that. I'm happy to do it because my identity is secure. Here's your challenge. Are you free to serve? Don't settle for that demonic counterfeit. No, no, no one's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to look after number one. No, could you find such a freedom in your identity that you go, I'm actually free to serve? Philippians 2 is this famous passage about Jesus, a kind of a poem who in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God. Some translations say something to be grasped. Others say something to be used to his own advantage. He's the opposite of Satan. He's like, I'm not going to leverage position to elevate myself. I'm free to take the nature of a servant. Jesus, the son of God. Hey, I'm just here to serve. Isn't that incredible? What does freedom look like for you? Um, again, this whole thing of this, this is a book about the Sermon on the Mount and human flourishing. Jesus came not to just give you a ticket to heaven. Jesus came to teach you how to experience human flourishing, to teach you how to do life well. And he's like, you want to get to the place where you're free to serve. Um, some of you know, I looked at this stuff, the Mental Health Foundation of New Zealand, five ways to well-being. Number two is, yeah, give of yourself. Serve something. Serve some people. This is what secular uh, social science is telling us. If you want to experience human flourishing, you've got to serve somebody. You've got to serve something. And it's like, this is kingdom values that the world is discovering. They talked about key component of strong relationships is the act of providing help and support. Yeah, research shows that receiving support is good. That's like, oh, yeah, I need love. But there's a growing body of evidence demonstrating giving support may be more beneficial. That's what Jesus said. It's more blessed to give. Jesus came to set you free to live life really well, to flourish. And he said, you're going to be blessed if you give. Again, this is what uh, 
social scientists say giving support is associated with a lower mortality risk, whereas receiving support has no significant effect on mortality. Again, Jesus, whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. Peter says this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Like there is a picture, a Christian picture, a Jesus picture of how to do life well. And it's like, see everything in your life as a gift from heaven and I use it to serve people. And if you do that, you're gonna find real freedom. What looks like bondage to the world is actually freedom in the kingdom. You know, I love at Equip Us, we, our mission, equip people for life. We're not, it's not a strategy to grow a church. It's how to equip people for life. And it's based around these heartbeats, you know, our values. And right at the center, the letter A, the kingdom advances, life advances when we serve. It's like right in the center of our church and kingdom vision is serving. And it's like Jesus is like, you've discovered the key to freedom when people are free to serve. But we're not only free to serve, secondly, we're free to be humble. Again, if you go back to this passage in Philippians chapter two, you know, he he took the form of a servant, but this, he humbled himself. Jesus, as the son of God, was free enough to not fight for position and status and recognition. He was free enough just to humble himself because his identity was secure. He didn't need to fight for it. Philippians 2, leading into this passage, this is Paul's advice. Like, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's, that's the demonic counterfeit of freedom. I'm gonna go after getting the most for me. I'm gonna go after getting the most position and recognition. And, and, and Paul and Jesus like, no, no, that's not what you're looking for. It's not gonna take you where you wanna go. Rather, in humility value, don't look, don't, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Because when you do that, you're having the same mind as Jesus. Jesus came to show us how to do life. And one of the keys is humility. Um, Paul picks up this, there's this phrase of be completely, or he says, intro, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. What kind of life is worthy? It's this life, be completely humble and gentle. Where did he get that from? Well, Jesus says this, I'm humble and gentle. Jesus is the person who came to show us how to do life. Be humble and gentle and you'll enjoy life and you'll feel free and you'll flourish. And so again, Paul picks this up, uh, not only his personal life, but how he does, does ministry. He's always operating out of the same spirit of Christ by the humility and gentleness of Christ. So, oh my goodness, this is real freedom. When I'm free just to sit and not be recognized, when I'm free to take the task that no one else wants to do, it's like I'm modeling Jesus who said, this is real freedom. When I can lay down ambition, when I'm not fighting for recognition. Um, What does humility look like? Pastor Bruce Monk often talks about humility, first and foremost, is our stance before God, before it's our stance before people. And Micah says this, this is what he requires, walk humbly with your God. Humility is me standing before God. Uh, and, and doing what? And there's this famous phrase, God opposes the proud and shows grace to the humble. And I feel like this, pride says, no, no, I've got this. I've got it all. Humility just says, I need you. I, I actually need your input. I need your grace. I need your power. And, and it's like, that's what positions us to live lives of freedom. This humility before God that says, actually, I don't have it all together. Actually, I'm not here to impress you. God, I just need you. And it's like, God's like, that's the key. 
That's all I'm looking for. There's a famous explanation. I don't know if you've ever, I've wrestled with this, like where does humility fit in the Christian virtues? Because they talk about a lot about love and joy and peace. And then there's humility and it kind of, how does that integrate? And Thomas Aquinas was a medieval theologian. He, this, he explains why humility is preeminent. Humility removes pride whereby a man or woman refuses to submit himself to the truth of faith. Thomas, Thomas thinks that all humility that although humility is not the most important virtue, that virtue or honor belongs to love, it is the beginning. Everything starts with humility because without humility, we cannot be in a position of openness to the work of the Spirit. And since supernatural virtues are bestowed by the Holy Spirit, without humility, we cannot live lives of Christian holiness. True freedom, paradoxically, starts with this attitude, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. God, I need you. That suddenly sets you free to have full access to all God has for you. I was thinking about this, like this image of a tree. We often talk about like a prosperous soul and flourishing and, and thinking, yeah, that, that's what God wants our life to look like. But that happens because deep down underneath, these roots go down and go, actually, this, I don't have life in myself. I've got to tap into something for life. That the Christian picture is a tree planted by streams of living water. It's like, man, that's why Pastor Bruce says, you can be flourishing and people think that you're proud or whatever, but it's actually in the secret place before God. God, I'm totally dependent on you. God, I need you. And, And Paul and Jesus go, that's freedom. Humility is the fear of the Lord. It's kind of, man, you are so awesome. Humility humbly accepts God's word. I just need to know what you're telling me and I'll do it. Humility does what he commands. Humility positions ourselves, which can sound to the demonic counterfeit as bondage. Humility says, God, I just submit to you and open up to you. And suddenly you've found the total freedom of a God who's for you, who's backing you, who's resourcing you, who loves you, who's championing you. The paradoxical upside-down way of freedom in the kingdom is humble yourself before God, and you'll be free. Paul finishes, what have you have that you did? What have you that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if it were not a gift? God, everything good in my life is because it comes from you. Everything good in my life is a gift from you. I just need to keep positioning myself where the roots go down into your presence, into your grace. That's when I'm free. Um, James talks about this, the deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom, and that there's a demonic counterfeit, envy, selfish ambition. He says this is earthly, spiritual, and demonic, but there's a different kind of wisdom that comes from heaven. And And Jesus, come on, I want to show you the path of real wisdom. What's really wise Humble yourself before God and go, God, I need you. Um, there's a book, a leadership book called Good to Great, and it, it's studying uh, organizations that have gone from being good companies to great companies. And one of the principles, I, I'm trying to show you like what Jesus said and Paul said 2,000 years ago, like our world is just discovering. And in this, one of their principles is what they call level five leadership. Level five leadership d- leaders display a powerful mixture of personal humility and indomitable will. They are incredibly ambitious, but their ambition is first and foremost for the cause, for the organization, and its purpose, not for themselves. While level five leaders can come in many personality packages, they're often self-effacing, quiet, reserved, and even shy. Every good to great transition in our research began with a level five leader who motivated the enterprise more with inspired standards than inspiring personality. I love being part of a church and movement that has 
leaders who live in freedom but with this indomitable will to advance the kingdom. It's what we're about. And so again, part of our values, yeah, the middle is advanced through serving, but the start is we honor God. We acknowledge without him we're nothing. We honor people around us. It's like we're, this, this is kind of articulating a kingdom way to equip people for life. So we're free to serve. We're free to be humble. But I, I love this. It's like, and this is, this is kind of, this is like the ultimate opposite of our culture. But I think this one, we, there is a resonance, like there's an ache for this. Because it's this, what is real freedom like? It's free to love. Again, we can have these images. Oh, freedom is charging off into the wilderness, living by myself. No one's telling me what to do. I'm out of, off the, you know, off the grid, whatever. The kingdom view of freedom is like, that's not free. Freedom is actually free to interconnect my life and loving relationships. You were created for that. We have this kind of cultural myth. Talk about the myth of the Lone Ranger, that the, the real, if you're a real man, you're this rugged individual you know, who's alone and but gruff and pushes people away and, and, and not close and, and all that. Some of any, a lot of us like reading these books. And it's like, but from, a, and they have fun books, but from a kingdom point of view, a biblical theology would go, man, they're incredibly dysfunctional, toxic men, human beings. Why? Because Genesis 2, when God looked at creating men, it's not good for a man to be alone. Put on a biblical lens for a minute and think about the heroes of freedom in our world, the, the biblical worldview would go, that's not freedom, that's failure to flourish, that's brokenness, that's aloneness, that's the worst thing that could happen to you. And why? Because God let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. He creates them, he creates them. We serve a God who's Trinity, who's interconnected relationships. So you're never gonna find real freedom to be yourself alone. Because you're made in the image of a God who's all about interconnection, who's all about loving relationships. God is love. And you're made in his image. Your true freedom is the freedom to experience love. I saw this meme the other day. I thought it was funny. Therapist, you need to let people in. Me, it's not locked. And it's like some of us are just so bristly or we push people away or we're so fearful that we hide or we put down barriers or what all of that. That's what Jesus and Paul would say. That's what I've come to set you free from because human flourishing looks like this, loving relationships, a new commandment I give you, not a, not a legalist duty, but a plan of how to flourish. Love one another. He repeats it twice in chapter 15. Love one another. Love one another. Jesus is like, this is the secret of human life. This is freedom. This is the kind of freedom I want to set you free for. And, and this whole thing in Galatians 5, when you're called to freedom, what a, the entire law is fulfilled in this one thing. Love your neighbor. It's like, free, what does freedom look like? Not isolation, not independence, not promotion. It looks like loving relationships. Uh, Pastor Esther mentioned this study um, last week in Auckland about Harvard study. They've been studying, they've been tracking people for 80 years. Started in 1939 with some uh, students at Harvard University. They've gone through four generations of researchers who have just, every couple of years, they interview these people and they're trying to, they're trying to understand the trajectory of what leads towards happiness and flourishing. And this guy, he's the current, he's the fourth director of the study. He's done a TED talk, just says, what makes a good life? 
lessons from the longest study on happiness. So we got Jesus and Paul 2,000 years ago, and then we got the longest social scientific study of happiness over 80 years. And he, and he asked these two questions. What keeps us healthy and happy as we go through life? And this interesting question, if you were going to invest now in your future best self, where would you put your time and your energy? They've done some research of young millennials. They found this. Over 80% like, I want to get rich because then I'm going to be happy. Over 50%, over 50% like, I want to become famous because then I'll be happy. That, that's a worldly counterfeit. That's never going to deliver. Uh, they published what their, uh, their research in this book. This is what he said. The surprising finding is that our relationships and how happy we are in our relationships has a powerful influence on our health. Health. Taking care of your body is important, but tending to your relationships is a form of self-care too. That, I think, is the revelation. Like, isn't that amazing? The word, like you spend, the top, one of the top universities in the world spends 80 years, four generations of researchers to come up with a revelation. What? What Jesus said, love one another. What Paul said, he set you free to love. It's like, this is what you're born for. This is what you're aching for. They go on to say close relationships more than money or fame are what keep people happy throughout their lives, the study revealed. Those ties protect people from life's discontents, help to delay mental and physical decline, and are better predictors of long and happy lives than social class, IQ, or even genes. Jesus said it 2,000 years ago. I've come to set you free. What does free look like? Love one another. Paul said, it's for freedom that you've been set free. What does freedom look like? Love one another. It's like, this is what God wants you to step into this year. And again, I love these values that are about equipping people for life because the final one is T. We're made to do life together. We're made for relationship. And in fact, the other one, R, is about we're actually going to reach out and draw in more people into relationship. And so I love the fact that at Equippers, we're here to equip people for life. And because we've nailed down the key uh, values of the kingdom, it's like everything in social science research is just catching up that says, man, this is not a strategy how to do ch church well. This is equipping people for how to do life well, to have the most flourishing life, to have the most happy life, to be free in life because it's for freedom that he set you free. Here's, here's the blow your mind, upside down, paradoxical message of the kingdom. You want to be really free? Serve one another humbly in love. Like that just blows my mind. That's what human flourishing looks like. That's the nature of freedom, that I would serve people humbly in love. The secret of your success the freedom that he came to purchase for you on the cross is that kind of life, empowered by God, out of his grace, in the, in the life-giving power and leading of the Holy Spirit, bought by the death and resurrection of Jesus. But it's a life of what? Serving one another humbly in love. It's like incredible. Just to, to kind of finish, there's another, again, Harvard, a human flourishing program. So again, major research at a major university, what does human flourishing look like? They came up with five things. Happiness and life satisfaction. That's kind of a bit general, I guess, but we go part of that well-being stuff. We go, oh, yeah, we know how to do that through that thing, connect and giving. Mental and physical health. Oh, definitely we know how to do that, those, those five ways to well-being, which includes 
connecting and, and giving. But look at these bottom three. Like seriously, like they just copied and pasted Galatians. What, what brings flourish? Meaning and purpose. Serve something bigger than yourself. Serve the people in your world. You're, you're, use what's in your life as a gift to serve people. Like that's the flourishing. Serve people. Character and virtue. Humbly. Humility is the beginning of virtue, is the beginning of character. Serve people humbly in close social relationships. Love. It's like, <laughs> like they spend millions of dollars and top researchers to come up what, with what the Jesus and Paul have said with what Paul says in one little random verse in Galatians 5.13. You're free to serve. You're free to be humble. You're free to love. We live in a world that is a bit crazy right now. It's pressing on all around us. Maybe you don't feel free, but I got great news for you. Jesus has come to set you free. What does freedom look like? That you're giving your life to serve something bigger than yourself. What does freedom to look like? That you're not fighting for position, you're just free to be humble in your world. What does freedom look like? That you're connected in loving relationships. And I got great news for you. Nothing can take that freedom from you. Because Jesus bought it for you on the cross. You came out of the grave and resurrection power for you to live into this. He poured out the Holy Spirit on your life so you could experience it.